Hello, freaks, and welcome to Radical Research. This is episode 102. I'm here with my brother from another mother covering into another. Hunter Ginn. Good evening, Jeff. Yeah, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. You're quite the intro. Yeah, well, I like rhymes. I like Dr. Seuss. So we are on 102, and we are starting to get into some stuff that we had talked about covering for a while, finally getting around to it. Before we talk about Into Another, I want to mention some donors to the cause that recently gave via PayPal, via donation, helps us defray all kinds of various costs. And we so appreciate anybody that helps out with that sort of stuff. You can donate by sending a PayPal of any amount. Uh, we encourage $19.93 and $21.12 for obvious reasons. $2,001, if you can bring up that amount and tribute to the great film. You are Kubrick fans, yes. Yeah, you know, Kubrick fans, Radical Research fans, you know, you're out there. You got deep pockets. That PayPal ID would be radicalresearchpodcast at gmail.com. You can always find us at radicalresearch.org, where I have a couple books on sale, soon the Voivod book, and soon Deserts of Hex number two, Hunter's. How do we describe well, this? Hunter, uh, um, Hunter and it, let me tell you, it is probably more Thomas Clark's than it is mine at this yes. point. Yes. Um, that gentleman is uh, an editorial genius and uh, just a damn fine partner. I am honored to do this with him. We're a little behind schedule, but by the end of the year, I do believe that it'll be out. And I am very confident that it will be better issue than the first one because I... It's kind of my personal metric. If I've done something and the next thing isn't better, I'm not going to do it. Excellent. We look forward to it. And that'll be on radicalresearch.org. Of course, you can find all 102 episodes there. Want to thank some donors uh, who've given recently. There's seven, all wonderful people. First one's Tanner Cooper. Thank you very much, Tanner. Marco Le. Guidice, Guidice, I'm probably slaughtering that. I believe he's from England. Looked like it was. Um, thank you, Marco. Eric Lynch, who we've heard from several times. Thank you much. Robert McGuire, another Englishman, another fine Englishman on our side. Michael Schlachter is a familiar name, so I think he's given before, and I, we appreciate that too. The great Paul Stope. Um, we know Paul Stope through various channels. And Paul Stope is now... A uh, member of the Deserts of Hex family. I got to meet Paul Stolt at the uh, Portland show with Agalog. And the Agalog show, yep. Tell you, he is uh, a gentleman in the, the highest sense, and I cannot wait to hang out with him again. I can't wait to meet him for the first time. We love him. Uh, yeah, he wrote to this saying this. Quote, fun fact, if traffic is good, the drive from Seattle to Portland equals the length of Radical Research episode 100 exactly. <laughs> Unquote. Nice. So, so apparently he did that drive. I'm, I'm imagining maybe when you were out there with Agalock. And um, yeah, yeah. so that's two hours, 45 minutes, because that's how long that episode is. So uh, those in the Pacific Northwest making that commute, you know which Radical Research episode will keep you company. That was an entirely a conscious decision on our part. We were aiming for the commute time, drive time from Seattle to Portland. We certainly, we certainly were. Uh, nailed it. Thanks, Paul. And then finally, Chris Warunke. I, I hope I'm not slaughtering that pronunciation. He has given before as well, very generously. Thank you so much, Chris. I want to quote him too. He says, quote, I look forward to unleashing the cosmic misadventures of Hunter Wagner onto the unsuspecting people of Earth. Uh, unquote for a second. If you had listened to a previous episode where we thanked him and came upon his work, uh, his musical work, uh, where he features a character named Hunter Wagner. That's interesting. I guess that's our contribution to his art. Again, quote, keep up the great work over there. And how about an episode on Morning Sign or Orphanage? Um, he also notes the next Scapegrace teaser single featuring the cosmic misadventures of Hunter Wagner should be ready to hear via Bandcamp by the time you hear this. Uh, so Hunter, Morning Sign or Orphanage, I'm going to guess that the only one of those two we would ever do a, an episode on, and lovingly so, would be Morning Sign. Morning Sign. We both love Morning Sign. In okay. fact, uh, you and I bonded over Multiverse uh, when we first met. Yep. Um, orphanage. Thumbs down. Not so much. And I have one shout out. Um, yeah. The wonderful Nathaniel Larachette 
who is an Agaloc collaborator. He's done some beautiful arrangements of Agaloc songs. I got to meet him at Prophecy Fest. He gave me a copy of his band's uh, The Night Watch um, record, which um, anyone who's listening, if they're a fan of Palace of Mirrors era, a stratosphere mm. uh, should absolutely check out. It's um, it's elegant. It's genre hopping, but it's very subtle. And also, and this just speaks to his character. He is a massive fan of the two Lost Horizon albums. Ah, well, that's that's a brother from another right there already. Yeah, and anyone who's a fan of Lost Horizon is a friend of ours. Oh, absolutely. No no question about it. Greatest power metal albums of all time, those two right there. I have to say this, and I'll say this on record. Uh-oh. You son of a bitch. <laughs> I've revisited both of these recently. Uh-oh, now you're not going to tell me I, that Awakening yeah, World is your favorite. I, I, look, I, I do have some problems with the production on the second one, but hmm. I think it might be the superior album. Wait, the second one or the first one? The second one. Oh yeah, I, I think I've come. Uh, a flame to the ground. Yeah, I, the production's a little brittler, mm-hmm. uh, a little glassier, but I think I'm coming over to your side. Okay, yeah, because I came to that one a while back, uh, and there was always the thing because this is a band who infamously released only two albums. They're the only two we'll probably ever get. They're I think most fans consider them pretty much equal in nature. Grateful for both of those. And it was always this debate. Well, which one's better? You know, if you had to pick. Well, uh, A Flame to the Ground Beneath, I think, is the master of Awakening the World. Both are great. You make a good point about the production, but I still hear a nice kind of plump, earthy, very firm tones in there. I I, I like it. I, I think the keyboards get very crystalline. And I think that's intentional. Uh, that sounds that's... like like hashtags on a porn site. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on. Another anyway, thing that, let's, yeah, get, let's get into into another. Another band you and I definitely bonded over when we became friends because there was always the, um, oh, you like this. Oh my God, you like this. Oh, you like Mind Over 4. You like No Means No. You like this and that. Into Another was one of those where it was like, man, this guy likes all the different shit that I like. We're going to run through their history. Into Another was a band that formed in, is it fair to say New York, New Jersey, Connecticut area? Because a lot of these guys yeah. from other bands that, from that, that whole... The tri-state area. The tri-state oh, area, yeah. Uh, we'll use that for shorthand going forward. But really special band, debuted in 1991. We're going to listen to the first song from the first album called Underlord on the Revelation label, right? Yes, sir. This was a band whose name I started hearing just around in the zines and all that. They would seem to kind of come out of hardcore circles. And I never really paid attention for maybe the first year that that first album was out. 
I knew that they had an ex-member of Whiplash, which was huge for me. Big fan of those first three albums. Tony Bono, uh, rest in peace, uh, died uh, quite a while back, actually. He was the basis for Whiplash that ended up in you know the original formation of Into Another. Other than that, I knew nothing about these guys' backgrounds. And I, I stayed away for a while until I read a review. And I think maybe an issue that had been out for a while of Curious Goods, Jerry Rutherford's fanzine, mm -hmm. something mm -hmm. like that. And I, and it just got my curiosity up and I'm like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to try that out. And of course this is 92 by this time, the days when, you know, you just took a chance if you had no ready access to a sample somehow. And I ordered it from a mail order place in Chicago, whose name I has long since disappeared from my brain. But um, I ordered that along with St. Vitus's latest album at the time, COD. Mm, I got these. Great. Well, I got these two albums at the same time, and I went right for Saint Vitus because that's what you would do. I was disappointed with it, and I still don't love it. There are aspects of it that are quite good, but um, yeah, never really latched onto it in the way that I did all the previous Vitus. So then I got into the into another album, and I was just just blown away by the freshness of it and the sort of mutated element of it, where it was. I guess technically crossover between metal and, and hardcore, but I always heard it, also it like very alternative. I mean, it, it, totally alternative rock. Yeah. I mean, this album could have only happened in the early nineties. You know, it pains me that I can't quantify that. Um, but this, you know, it like marriage of hardcore and metal and psychedelic, music and all these things i i have no idea like why it was such an organic confluence at that point i think a lot of things came together to make that happen all of them unconscious and then it became a thing that looked like it was consciously done but of course it wasn't but you know you think about fishbone or you think about primus or you think about so many bands from that era Ashing Pumpkins or earlier jane's addiction yeah, and they're bringing in all these various elements of heavy music, whether it was metal, whether it was hardcore, whether it was punk, whether it was indie rock, what was indie rock at the time, what was, whatever alternative was early on. All these different things. Funk was in the picture for some of these bands. Some of them, it definitely wasn't. Sabbath, Stooges. I mean, the melding, yeah, yeah, yeah. The melding was on by 91. And it, it just, it was like a huge wave. So, so Into Another was one of these bands that were part of that, if they could be a part of anything that wasn't truly a movement it was just kind of a thing in the air but they brought a freshness into this world and i immediately loved it i just thought it was so like you know richie birkenhead the vocalist I, I think his vocals are so beautiful and optimistic and sensitive there's a gentleness to them but there's also an attack he's great and then you get a guy called peter moses who's on guitar who if this band belongs on metal archives and I'd really truly believe they do. And that's one of my missions with this episode is to show that, you know, the metal side of into another is stronger than I even remember as a fan. You know what I mean? Like we started oh, making, these, we started making these snippets. I'm like, man, this band is definitely um, metallic. And, and Peter Moses brings a lot of that into it. Not so much Tony Bono as you might expect, but it's really Peter Moses who has the, which is like the amazing thing is like this thrash band is sort of, distancing himself yeah peter moses totally and i and you know he wrote for metal maniacs he got me into riot he got me into merciful fate yeah and he was married to Catherine ludwig obviously beloved former editor of metal maniacs also left us too early hail to Catherine ludwig but yeah peter and Catherine were a thing and and it's just um man very special album how did you get into them was it through metal maniacs Oh, it was Borovoy. Again. Yeah, it was his review of the first album. And then his almost messianic reviews of Ignorus and Seamless. Yeah. But yeah, it was his review of the first one that really, really got me into them. Well, let's get into it some more. This is two selections, snippets from that same debut album, While I Die. And as it were. I'm in bliss and I'm in agony. Whoa. 
you know, so we were talking about the the metal of it, and it's not just the heaviness, but also the elegance and the majesty of traditional metal. I think more of that actually. I, that yeah. that little that little break, and as it were, right before the snippet ends, is like a more metallic rush or when yep. Rush were at their most metal. I mean, it's beautiful. Yep. And they, and so so the capability is there to play that kind of metal. And, exactly. um, and the emotion required, as well as the talent. It's it's one of the best weapons in their artillery, this element. I'm also amazed yet again, of course this was going to come up, but how did they not get huge? I, I feel like the times... Well, we're going to... Like, well, that question's going to get even more vexing as we go on. Yes. Because they just get better and better and more and more commercial and in a good way no i i agree i think i think of their three albums i adore this first one but it's raw you can tell they're just figuring it out as many good songs are on there it has the one and only into another song i don't care for at all which is called powered uh to throw that out there Um, and well and i think that they're figuring out each other's sensibilities um and that's what makes this first one so exciting yeah you know it's like it it literally is four guys that are completely different and maybe even motivate motivated by different things and they just dial it in more and more with each of these three records let's talk about how much hardcore runs in their family tree obviously we hear i'd say uh, if we're talking and this is way more than strict crossover, of course. We established that. But if we're comparing their metal element to their hardcore element, you hardly hear any real hardcore here. But the hardcore element is strong in this band's family tree, is it not? Oh, very much so. I mean, yeah, got, uh, Youth of Today. Which um, Richie was in and also the drummer Drew Thomas. Yep. For short periods of time, though, they're not like major members. Am I right? Yeah, no, and um, yeah, very early on, and uh, yeah, yeah, that band sort of a wellspring of post hardcore because Walter Schriefels from Quicksand and Rival Schools uh was in that band, and also um, Sammy Siegler from Glassjaw, yep, and uh, Siv and Judge. Not insignificant yeah. names. And and Richie, of course, uh, was in this band called Underdog. He sang uh, with that band, whose first seven inch is, you know, kind of typical hardcore of that era. And then their album is one of these like really uncomfortable albums that kind of slowed the pace, lengthened the songs and played with metal a little bit. Kind of not, they don't sound like Excel, but like when Excel did that with Jokes on You or like the, yeah, the most awkward Black Flag. Yeah, it's 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 really not a great album, and I've only checked it out because I know Richie and love Richie from Into Another. But um, yeah, they 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 really do have a strong hardcore root. It's kind of the tri-state area bands that um, kind of play into their family tree. It, it's pretty interesting. So we have about three years break between the release of the first album and their second one, and I remember when their second one, Ignorus, came out. Clever wordplay, I like that. It took me a long time to really get it. I, I was at first disappointed. I'm not sure why. Uh, to this day now, I, I can't believe that because I love it. And I and I do consider it uh, better than the first one for sure. In 1994, you must have been just so primed for this album. Dude, are you kidding me? <laughs> this, I mean, this, this was like what I had been waiting on. Uh, again, Borovoy. I remember sitting in a van in Waynesville, North Carolina, um, on a family vacation that summer and reading the review of it. And I knew that every August, my mom and dad, you and you know what amazing souls they were, they would take me to Tower Records every August with the money that I'd saved up working. And I went that August and I bought Ignorus. Okay, and it was everything I wanted to hear in music. Nice, yeah. That's also on Revelation, um, yep. and really advanced in every sense: songwriting, performance, definitely production. Uh, and and yeah. one of the really, I think, extraordinary things about it is the interplay between the guitar and the bass. Oh yeah, yep. And I, 
you know, it's weird. As long as I've known this band, I don't think I can answer this question that I have, which is, did they ever double track guitar? But I don't think so. No, I don't think they... I think they were very purist about that. Like, especially when Peter would go into a solo. I think it was... I don't think there was ever a double track guitar. Let's see. But but what I'm saying is like, I think that's... Yeah. Yeah, I think that's part of the why the, the their sound is the way it is and why that guitar and bass interplay uh, might stick out to you so much because they were not only really good mm. at it, but the way they recorded, you know, brought these two stringed instruments out uh, against each other and with each other. So let's listen to two and see if we can find out find out that answer and um, bask more in the glory of this uh, really great, super underrated band. We're going to listen to Laughing at Oblivion and Maritime Murder.
man, so much there. Uh, the chords, I hope people caught the chords and laughing at oblivion that Peter's playing just really well thought out stuff, unusual chordings and, and groupings. And, I'm, I don't know of this band's live history. I don't know how much they got out. I never saw them, but I can't help but think that they would have been really well paired. I know they never were, but really well paired with other radical research favorites like Last Crack and Mind Over Four, if that could have been a triple bill. Oh, man. You know, I just, it, it would fit. Like, uh, you know, a lot of Maritime Murder reminds me of Last Crack's Burning Time album. Yep. Uh, just, into, how, just how atmospheric is it? And there are aspects of the first album that remind me of Psychotic Waltz. Oh, I can totally see that. Yeah, yep. yeah, for sure. Super special band, man. Are you are you uh, falling in love with them again? All over again, <laughs> um, like like two snowflakes. <laughs> oh, nice one. <laughs> that's a that's an in joke for you. All you into an hey, all you. <laughs> I got it. I, I understood it. I know. I know you got it. <laughs> We're we hey we're brothers from another mother into another. It's After what we all. are. It's what we are. Um, around this time, I don't remember when Creepy EP came out, but there was an EP called Creepy EP. Speaking of silly words, ninety two. Ninety two. Yeah. Okay, so Creepy EP followed the full length, so there was something in in, in that three year gap. It wasn't entirely quiet. You and I are in agreement that Creepy EP is... I'm great. I, I, I think that everyone's kind of in agreement about that. What happened there? Like, I, I wonder if it was just leftovers? Um, yeah, I, or, or I, I suspect that they were leftovers or just a, a rush job to satisfy the label, but not good. Yeah, I have it on vinyl. I, I rarely listen to it because when you have those three towering monuments before you, uh, you know, why... Uh, although, you know, the, the, my love for the band, of course, makes me keep it. I, I This allows me to get rid of it, I should say. And right around the time of Ignorus, uh, I think maybe a little after, but I'm not sure, they released one of the songs as kind of a single called Poison Fingers. Mm-hmm. And it came out with two non-album songs, one called To Be Free and the other one called Herbivore. I like To Be Free a lot. Herbivore struck me as a little bit too literal in its message i'm all about the message it's about vegetarianism and and being kind to animals i'm all about that i just feel like the message wasn't delivered with any tact it was it was just very like kind of preachy almost yeah yeah blunt on the head a little bit but it's good sentiment and it ends up on on an ep so you know no harm no foul uh ignore us the whole thing's a masterpiece i really don't have any problems with it and it's just it's a grower of, of the best kind and we're going to listen to another track from it. You picked this one, Hunter. It's called William. Yeah, Very moody. You know, I love that. Well, and the the ones that I picked from uh, Seamless that we'll hear in just a bit are quite a bit different. But I wanted to display this band's moodier side, which is so lyrical and so poetic. This is a perfect example of that. It is. And I think this also underscores the fact that of the three albums, it's probably the most subdued album, which is maybe yeah. why why I didn't pick up on it right away. You know, it shows itself early and then really after the first three songs, yeah, it really kind of digs into itself. Gets really pensive, really melancholy, which I think fits Richie's vocals really well. Like he's I agree. He's a very emotive deliverer of vocals, as we'll hear here. This is William. For eight years, he sailed on haunted oceans, conspiring, spiraling seas, recording his fears and fantasies. And I'd say, Wait at sea for me 
something just occurred to me. Um, and I'm sure that we have talked about this issue. So that Sterling McFadden thing. It was like this came out in 1994. I was like 25 years of heavy metal or something. And it was like, who is going to be like, what bands are going to be the future of metal? Yeah. And it was like cynic. I hate God, somebody else and um, into another. Really? And they called into another arena rock with a conscience. Hmm. And I think that the the lyricism and the majesty of that guitar lead. Yeah. Uh, sort of confirms that. Absolutely. It's it's so. <laughs> it, it, yeah, it, it's got to be the most like. Um, I don't, I don't want to put down anything else on the Revelation label, and I certainly don't know most of it, but it's got to be with one of the more sophisticated and sublime things ever to land on that label. Is is that solo right there? <laughs> you know, yeah, really. Um, just, I mean, it's just gorgeous, and like it. Again, I, I'm just so in love with Peter Moses, man. He, I, I, I like every aspect of this band, but he's he almost eclipses Richie for me in terms of personality. Oh, he's amazing. Just, yeah. yeah. And and man, unsung because outside of Into Another, he hasn't really done much of note. And as underrated as Into Another is, it's certainly the most popular thing he ever did. You know what I mean? Yep. What a shame that more people don't know. Um, and if we can just turn one person on, you can head over to Discogs and I'm sure you can find all this stuff on the on the cheap side. And even if you find it for 20 bucks, it's a steal. You you get I... the, you get the best end of the bargain there, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, great points, man. Great points. So now, one year later, big things start to happen for them, or apparently they seem to. It's 1995, and they have a, a third album out on Hollywood Records. Now, Hollywood Records is an interesting label. I don't know much about it, but I know that they started- Really a huge scam. Really? Yeah, they seem to have like screwed over a lot of people. Well, here's the thing. They're still going. Unless the Hollywood that my my favorite current band from Rochester, New York, Joywave is concerned, they're on Hollywood. And I'm pretty sure it's the same Hollywood. They must still be going. Yeah. I don't know that they've ever screwed over Joywave. I just don't know. But they screwed over uh seaweed and into another. And I don't know the nature of the screw over, but I know that Queen's Innuendo album landed on Hollywood. And I remember that was kind of a big deal at the time because it seemed like, oh, Queen's on this like sort of quasi-major type label like nobody really knew what the hell hollywood sure. was at the time and innuendo comes out in that so it was really interesting and i just i just don't know the history i don't know that they have any kind of identity but at the same time i'm looking at this seamless record the third album by into another was called seamless s-e-e-m-l-e-s-s -E -E and it's like a 12 panel booklet beautiful packaging and they get a producer who could not have come cheap you want to talk about him rick parasher yeah, uh, genius producer responsible for such things as Pearl Gems 10, Temple of the Dog, Allison Chain's Sap, worked out of the London Bridge studio in, uh, well, it was his studio in Seattle. Really, like just short of Daniel Lanois, one of the most atmospherically sensitive producers in rock history. Yeah, and, and perfect for that time. And, I mean, and, he, yeah. and he passed all too early on August 14th, 2014. Mm. Yeah, too too bad about his passing. But man, he he left a legacy and kind of right producer for the right time. I'd say he, you know, he did things for Pearl Jam and Alice in Chains that had to happen. Like those those records sound exactly as they should. And I feel the same way about Into Another Seamless. I think this is a brilliant, beautiful sounding album. The production is incredible. And he, he seems to have gotten them. Like he seems to have gotten what they're after and uh, they're writing some of their best songs. I mean, this is probably their best album. And there, there is a, it, it, it absolutely is their greatest album, but there, there is a, um, there's a spaciousness yes. to the album. Like the, the separation of the instruments, like he, like he gets um, sort of the, uh, I don't know, like the district's, within a band you know what i mean yeah like, that's that's a great and you can sort of arrange them in a in a, a perfect way and, and that all comes together on uh seamless 
Yeah, man. And I'm, I'm looking at the back cover. Like they have a little bit of an outfit thing going on. They have an image here, which they never, they never do, had. but it's cool. And like, yeah. it works. And like, uh, man, it, if I had not known this band and I saw this in the store in 1995, it, it probably would have appealed to me. It just, there's something about it, every aspect. And well, I mean, well, dude, um, so it was, okay. So it was partially Boravoy, but it was also partially you. Because you had this on your 1995 list, yeah, I remember Metal Maniacs, and it was like yeah. my Dying Bride and Alchemist, Alchemist. and the War Comp, the, the War Comp, yeah, yeah, and it was like Mind Rot Dawning. Oh yeah, I think, that but was I knew movie. you from you know Symposium, and I was like, holy fuck, this is Jeff Wagner in Metal Maniacs. Well, it was funny because I wasn't, like, I was two years away from, well, a year from. You know, yeah, but you were in the you were in the playlist section. Somebody at Metal Maniacs asked me in late '95, I guess, to contribute my top seven. I'm like, sure, yeah. Not having any idea that about a year later I'd, I'd be moving to New York and, and working at the magazine. It's funny that you remember that I had into another on my list at that time. <laughs> so, you know, I I've loved you for a long time, Jeff. You loved me a long time. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. That doesn't sound right. It's okay, man. It's 2023. We're all we're all good that way. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> All right. Or as I used to say, hey man, it's the nineties. Um <laughs> let's listen, let's uh let the music do the talking. You know what? Let's uh, move on. Let's let the music do the talking. This is the uh little snippet from the opening track from Seamless called Mutate Me. Okay, everybody, I hope you listen closely because let that be our own radical research elegy for Tony Bono because he's crushing on that bass. I mean, that that's beautiful bass playing. It's really dialed in. It's carrying everything, it seems like. It's killing. No, the, the whole band is riding on the back of Tony Bono. I, and I love I love his sound. You you talked about Rick uh, Parashar. I think that's how you say it. I've always said it Parashar, but I have no idea. I did too, it. but then I heard Rick Beato, the YouTube music guru, and he said Parashar. Um, so I, well, I, uh, I yield to him. Okay, fair enough. And and so Rick Parashar must have 
something to do with this great sound. I'm sure it's Tony's natural sound, but just bringing it out, recording it, having all that other stuff on top of it, the other musicians, but Tony's just shining there. And I think it's a beautiful thing. And it's a great song. It's a great way to open this album. I think we want to move on and just keep listening. <laughs> I'm really excited. Let's let the music do the talking. I just, I, I, I don't think I've ever heard you say that. That's really incredible. I, I, I know, but you know. I, I think you've coined a term. We're in different times. It's the 90s, man. It's the 90s. Um, this is the second song from the album. This is a snippet from a really curiously titled Locksmiths and Lawyers. Whenever I hear this, I'm kind of filled with rage, you know, that this band wasn't the biggest band of the 90s. They had the makings. I really, I've always thought that, especially with this album. Ignorus might have been a little too subdued and melancholic for the masses, yeah, sure, but, but, Se but Seamless, seems, Seamless seems built for it. We keep talking about Parasher, but what struck me there uh, amidst all that great stuff, including Drew Thomas, Phil's that are excellent. The interplay between Peter and Tony, uh, Richie's charisma. And as an aside, before I get to my main point, like this was a band that never changed members in their original phase. And each guy brought equal character. That's rare. You know, that's rare. And oh. God bless them. I just, I just feel like you're right. They really should have been bigger, but Parisher is interesting because he or Parishar, however the fuck you're saying it. Um, <laughs> 20, what, 30 years of saying it one way? And I'm, I'm, and I'm expected tonight to yeah, sure. switch. I mean, what one uh, night. So Rick Parashar, he, uh, I'll say it my way. He, uh, he's really good at what we talked about before, which was separation, understanding all the different, you didn't say departments, you said districts uh, of a band. Yes. And then I think of Alice in Chains and I think of certainly Pearl Jam's 10, where uh, these albums, he got that. And you, you talk about separation of the instruments and you talk about kind of a cleanliness, but he's also really good at making sure that reverb or huge room sound is in the picture as well. Like, and it's hard to marry those two things. They're kind of disparate. Yeah. And, and yeah. he's really good at capturing all that you need to capture, especially with music like this, where you do have that separation. You do have that personality and everything sounds really well mixed and equal and out front in the listen, but also it's not too dry. It's not too separated. You're getting this big room sound, which I was listening to locksmiths and lawyers there thinking, man, what a perfect production. Just they couldn't have asked for better for what they're doing. No, it's amazing. Perfect. Yeah. I mean, it really is. There's, there's not much more to say. Does this make you want to listen to the album like tomorrow or something like that? And, and, and perhaps I will. Yeah. We had discussed on the Voivod episode, episode 100, that parts of Angel Rat, I believe the title track perhaps, 
uh, reminded you, or at least at the time struck you as like, whoa, this sounds like into another's for a wounded wren. Like you were so specific and you're like, oh, that one into another song sounds a lot like Angel Rat. And you were, I, I never thought of that before, but you're telling me. I have a, you. yeah, I have. Hmm. Sorry, you don't have to edit that out. You're yawning? Yeah. There I is am. no way I'm editing I that out. Your early bedtime is becoming legendary across the <laughs> globe at this point. So, you know, I'm not going to. But, okay. It's, people, it's 8.01 p.m. Eastern, Eastern time. <laughs> but um, this is such a, like a a singular song yeah. for them, but just in general, such a moving song. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, just from the, the title, it's for a yeah, wounded, seriously for a wounded wren. But I think he's talking about something greater. And there's a line in this song. Here's the lyric. Hang on for a while. This will all be over soon. It's the only consolation I can offer you. <laughs> Is like, yeah, it'll be, it'll be over. It's not like it's not, he's not saying it's going to get better. He's not but saying it's okay. It'll, it'll, it'll just end. Yeah. It, it'll all be over soon. And that's the only consolation I can give you. And I'm like, that's how I've thought about life in my worst moments. You know what I mean? Where I'm like, I want to get out and it'll be over soon. I know it'll be over soon. And I'm not talking about the event. I'm talking about like life, like, man, this will all be over soon. <laughs> you know, don't sweat it. It's, 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 it's a kind of a dire lyric, but also in its weird way, kind of optimistic. Some brilliant Richie Birkehead writing for sure. Let's listen to it. This is for a wounded wren. What I find interesting, one of the many things I find interesting on Seamless is their publishing company, the, the name of, of their BMI publishing. Uh, a lot of bands, you know, they, they name it themselves. It's usually little in-jokes or interesting personality things, but um, it's publishing and copyright 1995, impecunious music. Now, you're a bit of a word nerd, so I know you know what impecunious means, right? I don't. Uh, it means little or no money. Which, you know, <laughs> I, it points to a good sense of humor on their part, even on Hollywood records. Yep. Yeah. So uh, that's kind of cool. But um, man, I, yeah, what a special song. Definitely some, the beginning of that snippet reminds a little bit of the quieter rush moments on like Farewell to Kings or Hemispheres. I was going to say Permanent Waves. I'd put good money down on Peter Moses loving Alex Lifeson. It's so obvious. 
we leave you. This is about it. Anything more you want to say about Into Another before we uh, cast buy off? Buy the and, records. Buy the records. Absolutely. Go to on Discogs, buy their records. And really, you know, you go with what you like. You, 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 you've heard our snippets and our choices. But if you want further recommendation, I think we can. I don't want to speak for you, Hunter, but I'm pretty sure we both would say start with Seamless. Absolutely. Yeah, that yep. doesn't do it for you. Nothing will, and you have problems, and you need help, and you should find therapy. Uh, better yep. help. They're not sponsoring us, but they might soon. We're going to leave you with a track from their Omens EP. This came out in 2017. Weirdly, the band came back. In between time, I have no idea what they did. I do remember being with Eula Garrett at Camden Yards in Baltimore uh, at an Orioles game that he treated me to. Two Orioles games, actually. Uh, we did two in a row, two days in a row. And as I'm walking through the crowd, I saw a dude, and this is 2014, maybe? Uh, and I think they had done some reunion shows because I saw a dude in the Baltimore crowd, you know, there's shitloads of Orioles shirts and, and that kind of thing. And I saw this dude in an, into another shirt and I just about charged him and said, dude, you know, but it just, really? seemed, yeah. I, yeah. I was like, cool. You know, but I, but I didn't, I didn't charge him. I didn't talk to him. I should have, uh, cause it's a rare sighting out there in the wild and into Dude. another shirt. I yeah. figured, I was just like, oh, he probably went to one of the local reunion shows because I think they did something around that time. And in 2017, they brought out a five-song EP. They haven't done shit since. And it's it's sort of like an interesting and appropriate coda to the Into Another story is that <laughs> they, they come back and they're still not really well-liked. I don't, I, don't, you know, I don't know how Omens was received or how it did or, or if they felt it was worth it, but um, I like it a lot. It's hard to make a statement with a five-song EP, and that's kind of it. But it does have Richie, does have Peter, does have Drew on drums. This is all we need for Into Another. We can't have Tony Bono back. They have a second guitarist, actually, Brian Balchak and uh, Reed Black on bass. So we're going to listen to a song from Omens. It's the opening track called Crossed. We're going to leave you with this. We will be back with episode 103. We will bring you an album we have talked about between ourselves, Hunter and I, for as long as we've known each other. It's an album that we wanted to cover on Radical Research for a long time. We will admit that Decibel, with their Hall of Fame, beat us to the punch and featured it about a year ago, uh, maybe nine months ago. That's Dead Horses, Peaceful Death, and Pretty Flowers. We both adore that album. I don't think it's perfect. I'll bitch about why on the episode. Hunter, I don't know... That's what makes it interesting. Well, that's what makes it interesting. And look, it's perfect enough and it's singular enough. There is nothing like that in the world. Nope. And it's such a special album. We love it so much. We're going to give it our treatment and try to do it justice. But join us then for that. And uh, we appreciate you listening. Here's Crossed from Omens by Into Another. Thank you, Richie. Thank you, Peter. Thank you, Drew. Thank you, Tony Bono. Thank you, Hunter. Thank you, Hunter.